0: Welcome, welcome. This is the Blue Notes podcast, a presentation of Indianapolis Colts stories and notes. I am your host, Benji Taylor. Uh, Sunday, the Colts faced the LA Rams at home. It was a blowout early. Then it wasn't. The young Colts battled back and tied it. Then they fell short in the overtime loss. Having watched that game and even here recording now, it's hard to know how to feel about that game. The start of the game was disappointing and sad. (laughs) The fourth quarter was impressive, but the result sucked. The Rams are similar to the Colts in that no one really expected them to be good, but I think both teams are a little better than people imagined they would be. When you have two pretty even teams battling, the home team usually has the edge, but it didn't play out that way. No, the Colts were outlasted, and now I want to weed through the mess and see what we can take away from the Sunday afternoon disappointment. Stay with me Colts fans. Admittedly, it was a little odd for me to see that team on the other side of the field, kind of like an ex-girlfriend or worse, the one I never had. Two years ago, I wanted the Colts to trade for Matt Stafford. My team opted for Carson Wentz, and the Rams got Stafford and won a Super Bowl. Then this past off season, I wanted the Colts to hire Rams defensive coordinator Raheem Morris. I thought he could build a great staff and would be a perfect fit here in Indy. Well, that didn't happen either. <laughs> Please don't hear this as a criticism of our current quarterback or coach. I love them. I love Anthony Richardson and couldn't be happier with the draft pick. But Stafford was my first want two years ago. And you know how it is, when you don't get the player, you want to beat the player. It just hurt doubly bad to see Stafford and McVay and Raheem Morris come into Lucas Oil Stadium and have such success Sunday. All personal feelings aside though, I want to focus on red flags or concerns from Sunday's game. Remember, we said before the season that wins and losses, they don't matter so much because this was the season to develop Anthony Richardson. And that was it. Well, I've swayed a little bit from that strong stance, but I still want to try to learn from the losses. Well, what did we learn Sunday? One thing we learned is that the passing offense, especially with Richardson at quarterback, is not excellent. Listen, AR had some phenomenal throws, and I want to give him his due, but I'm talking about the overall plan for the passing game. It's not great. Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce combined for two catches on seven targets. Two catches. The two best receivers had two total catches. You might argue, and I might argue, that Josh Downs is a a better receiver than Pierce. That's fine. But Downs only had two catches, so out of your entire wideout group, the Colts had four catches on ten targets. If you go down through the entire list of 32 NFL teams Sunday, that's a stat line you probably won't see repeated, especially for the teams that won. I don't think that the Colts passing game is broken, but it's a concern. There must be a planned effort to get MPJ more involved. I know that Alec Pierce has had his issues, but MPJ must touch the ball more. We just talked about this last week, and that was the one thing Gardner did very well he got the ball in the hands of the best player. I suppose head coach Shane Steichen is kind of doing that by giving the ball to AR on run plays, sure, but MPJ needs to be involved as well. Another concern about the passing game might be, or you might say, Anthony Richardson's completion percentage. Well, honestly, I'm not bothered by it. I'm not. AR completed 11 of 25 passes. That's 44%. And I truly could not care less. We knew this would be a struggle for the rookie quarterback. I spent nearly an entire episode a couple weeks ago talking about how inexperienced AR is as a thrower. I'm not surprised. And I'm not concerned. Dan Hansis of NFL.com said this about Anthony Richardson on the Around the NFL podcast. He said, The completion percentage doesn't match the level of play, and I couldn't agree more. Anthony Richardson makes enough special plays, connects on enough deep balls, and runs the ball so well that the completion percentage is just a small, forgettable number in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I do expect, and I hope, it improves over the course of his career, but it's not a concern, at least not for me. Another kind of mild concern that is probably more temporary than long lasting was the bad coaching decisions. I don't want to be too critical here of Shane Steichen. He's a first year head coach. And although he wasn't my first choice, I've been happy with him. I think he's done really well so far. And if you've listened to this podcast for very long, you should know that I don't, I don't normally criticize coaches. I usually defend them unless your name is Jeff Saturday. Well, I digress. Uh, No, I like Shane Steichen, but I thought he made at least one exceptionally poor decision Sunday, and that was to go for it on fourth and seven late in the third quarter. The Colts were down 23 to eight, and the ball was on the Rams 31. This decision made no sense at all. None. It was fourth and seven, which meant that running the ball was pretty much out of the question. So now you're asking a rookie quarterback who is completing 44% of his passes to connect or turn the ball over. The math doesn't check out. Not only was he completing less than half of his passes, but if he does connect, you have to make sure that the receiver is beyond the first down marker and doesn't bobble or fumble the ball. Not only that, but a field goal would have been about a 47 or 48 yarder Remember, the Colts kicker Matt Gay, Matt Gamer, just knocked in four 50-yarders a week ago. Now you have a closer chance in a dome at home for three easy points when scores have been so hard to come by for much of that game. The risk was incalculable, and those three points could have been the difference in the game. The decision was dead wrong. Another coaching decision that I really didn't love was the idea to back off of Matt Stafford in overtime. If you were watching that game, you saw that Stafford, who is one of the gutsiest players in the league, was injured badly. One of the Colts defenders landed on him and injured his hip. Stafford was hobbled and could barely move by the end of the game. At one point, he took the snap and just stumbled and fell down without anyone touching him. About this time, the Colts brought steady rushers and it was having tremendous effect, a massive effect. Stafford couldn't move and couldn't avoid them and he had no time to find his receivers. But for some reason, in overtime, defensive coordinator Gus Bradley called off the dogs. Resultingly, Stafford had plenty of time to find his receivers and he plunged his team right down the field to score the game-winning touchdown. Similar to Steichen's decision not to kick, this one made no sense. I didn't really expect many wins this year, but when you're at home and victory is right there within grasp, I wanted the Colts to snatch it. Instead, it seemed like the coaches just fumbled it away. Like I said, I don't think this is a long-term concern. It's the first time in four weeks that I have seen our side get worked like that. But our guys were clearly outcoached Sunday. You know, I I promise it wasn't all negative, but I I do have one more concern we need to discuss, and that's the depth of this young team. Last week, it was just a question, a curiosity. This past Sunday, it was a glaring disaster, and it was on both sides of the ball. If you've ever wondered what DeForest Buckner's value to this team is, go back and watch this game. He didn't practice all week and was in danger of missing the game. Well, he didn't miss it, but he also didn't play much. Buck lined up for only 24% of the snap Sunday, although he normally plays between 70 or 80%. And needless to say, his absence was felt deeply. The loss was so bad that somehow, Grover Stewart was mitigated. I've always thought of these two guys as separate, large entities. And even without Buck, that Grover could thrive. But Sunday, he disappeared. He just vanished. To be fair, Grover was dealing with his own injury. He has a foot injury and only played about 50% of snaps. Without Grover and Buck playing and healthy, it was free game for the Rams running back, Kyron Williams. He surged through that Colts D-line like a hot knife through butter like Mr. Kool-Aid through a TV brick wall. There was no sign of any resistance. It was a pleasant passageway for the Rams' run game. The Colts' offensive line was almost as bad. With starting left tackle Bernard Ryman dealing with a concussion, rookie left tackle Blake Freeland was thrown into the fire. And it was a toasty result, I'll tell you that. Listen, I don't blame the guy. It was an impossible assignment. I just hope that our starter Ryman gets healthy and stays healthy. Starting center Ryan Kelly is also dealing with a concussion. So once again, Wesley French got the start. I thought French had played okay in his two games filling in for Ryan Kelly. I even complimented him last week if you remember that. Well, PFF disagrees. They have scored him at 41.1 through two weeks of play. That's one That's one of the lowest scores I've ever seen calculated by PFF. Listen, out of curiosity, I went back and looked at Tim Tebow and Jamarcus Russell, you know, two of the really the worst performing players I've seen in recent history. And he's kind of near that number, 41.1 depth has been tested on both the O-line and D-line, and they haven't looked great. In the defensive secondary, the Colts were already very young with rookie Juju Brent and second-year man Dallas Flowers. Well, unfortunately, Flowers tore his Achilles Sunday, so the team now must either turn back to Daryl Baker Jr. or to rookie Jalen Jones. I'm sad for Dallas Flowers and excited to see Jalen Jones get on the field, but overall, the depth of this team has been tested And they failed that test. Okay, okay, that's it. No more worries, no more concerns. That's it. Actually, let's take a second now and just applaud a complete masterpiece by Anthony Richardson. Okay, it wasn't a complete masterpiece, but it was a complete game, and it was his first complete game in three attempts, so that's something, right? (laughs) Uh, It's true that he only completed 11 passes, but man, every completion notched its own segment on the highlight reel. He is something fantastic. If I had to pick his best play, I don't think I could do it. Was it the completion to Josh Downs down the seam, the improbable connection to Alec Pierce with the NFL's best defender Aaron Donald draped all around him, tugging him down, the laser perfectly placed to Mo Ali Cox for the touchdown or Was it the Patrick Mahomes-like scramble toss to Zach Moss for the two-point conversion? They were all spectacular. And those were just his passes. His runs were equally impressive. Best of all, Anthony Richardson managed to slide on one of his runs and avoid a hit. Wait a minute. No. Better than all of that was his signature touchdown celebration, the 360 spike. It made its appearance again, and I love it. And I can't wait to see so much more of it. Anthony Richardson is truly spectacular. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to overcome the questionable coaching decision Sunday and pull off the comeback. And lastly, I want to take a quick look at stats and snap counts. Anthony Richardson was sacked twice. I actually think that's pretty impressive given the state of the O-line and the fact that Aaron Donald was a menacing villain the entire game. The two sacks really speaks to Anthony Richardson's pocket awareness and his ability to evade the rusher. On paper, penalties were even, but if you watched that game, you know they weren't. The Colts' penalties were costlier. The Colts had almost as many penalty yards as total yards through the first quarter. Strangely, ours was the less disciplined team Sunday, and it was painfully obvious. The Rams ran 20 more plays than the Colts. It's hard to win a game when possessions are that lopsided. Uh, I already mentioned that Buck and Grover's snap counts were way down, but I think that was mostly because they weren't all that healthy. The tight end snap counts followed the same pattern as the previous week. Granson led with 35, Ogletree was second with 28, and Mo Alley-Cox played the fewest snaps with 17. Although Mo had a touchdown, he has declined in snaps every week. Not a good sign for the tight end. With Jelani Woods return looming and rookie tight end Will Mallory developing, I think Moe's days are numbered. The scariest number was Shaq Leonard's snap count. He played only 45 snaps. Shaq is following an identical trajectory to Mo Ali Cox. He's declined in snaps every game this season. That's not a good sign for the former All-Pro, especially since you would think he would be getting healthier. And that's all I've got for you, Colts fans. You know, I'm sorry. It seemed like a really negative episode, overwhelmed with concerns. I'm sorry about that. Honestly, I thought it was an entertaining game. And Anthony Richardson played extremely well. I do think better days are ahead for Anthony Richardson and these young Colts. Sunday, this Sunday, the Tennessee Titans come to town. And there is not one team in this league that I hate more than the Titans. I hope very much that the Colts spend the week getting healthy, and Sunday this team can put on a pounding. I would pay money to see that. Oh, and uh, did you think I wasn't going to mention it? Uh, Yeah, Jonathan Taylor has a chance to return this week. Well, I hope to God he returns and runs for one million yards on the Titans. Come back next week and we'll talk about it. Take care and go Colts. This was a presentation of the Blue Notes podcast. I'm Benji Taylor, thanks for listening.